Welcome to the Manager Track, the leadership podcast where we help ambitious managers across the ranks become confident and competent leaders people love to work for. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw. Welcome to this episode of The Manager Track. I am honored and thrilled to have Erica Dean with me today. She is a senior marketing communications leader with 10 plus years of experience in the marketing space. She's also a brand strategist and an amazing um, black woman who is vulnerable and open to having the hard conversations. And she was willing to join me for this conversation today to talk about uh, racism, anti-racism, and how all that shows up in the workplace so that we can provide an inspiring conversation on what we all can do in order to support this movement and make progress that's been long overdue because it's on each of us to show up differently and do more in this regard with the strength that we have and inside of our communities and in our roles in the workplace. So Erica, thank you for, for joining me today. So good you have you on. It's so good to be with you, Ramona. Thank you so much. So Erica, I'm really curious, you know, I mentioned a little bit about your background and I'm curious how the last few months have been for you, but also what you're reflecting on in terms of your past, your own past experience, and maybe what are some of the stories or examples or even emotions that come up for you as you have observed or even participated in, in the, the protest and the movement overall? Wow, that's a lot to unpack, but I'll, I'll start with the question in regards to I think you asked about what I'm reflecting on because I'm very much, that's very much a present day, day-to-day thing that I'm doing. One is when you, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but racism specifically in the workplace is very covert. It is not overt. It is not blatant. It is not loud. It is very quiet, but it is very present. And oftentimes I think for black professionals, you know that it's there, but because it's covert, you can't call it out. So sometimes mm. your mind will play tricks on you. Like, well, is that what I heard? Or what are you saying? What, you know, mm. and I, in a way, to be honest with you, I feel a little validated now that it, this is a topic that's out in the open for me to know that it's okay, that I know what I've experienced either personally or by way of family and friends and their experiences. And so one, I have to be honest, it's validating to be able to speak out. It's validating to be able to have this conversation and be free to share the truth of what I know myself and and other loved ones, as I've mentioned, have experienced. So that's one thing. It's like, wow, okay, I'm not alone. And and there's a space that's being created for us as people of color and specifically Black professionals to be able to share our experiences. So I feel validated in that. And I think it's really important. In terms of the the overall climate. I live in the heart of where the the rioting was going on. So I'm from Los Angeles. I live in the mid city area. So I would, I'm kind of in the, in the vicinity of where all the, all the rioting was going on a couple weeks ago, but because I'm from LA, I was also raised during the LA riots and I was Mm -hmm. 10 or 11 years old. So it is a trip to Mm -hmm. be 
an adult now experiencing um, an uprising versus being uh, a child. And then also being a mother who has a child that thankfully my son is young enough to where he's not asking a ton of questions, but I'm having to prepare myself now. Mm -hmm. I always knew when you are a black mother, you know that you have to prepare yourself to have certain conversations with your kids. Mm -hmm. But now that we're in the midst of race 20, COVID-19 race 20, I am actively having to prepare myself for the day that will come very soon that I have to start having these conversations with my son. And all of that is a part of what I'm reflecting on right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was, it gave me the chills just when you said how you're experiencing it all and how it it sort of reminds you of the time when you were a child and, and how you're now looking forward of, you know, your son growing up and all that is to unpack about this topic, which is so big and, you know, centuries of suffering and pain and history. And yeah, I, I, I can feel like how much there is. Leaves you speechless. Yeah, really. The, it leaves like, you how, speechless. Yeah, really how much does. there is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then also the, the other point, the first point that you mentioned about how it's showing up in such, a, just such like subtle ways where you're not sure, hmm, is my brain playing a trick on here? And to a certain extent, I, re- I can relate to what you're saying, not on the topic and by no means of the importance and signif- significance of it. But, you know, having worked in a male-dominated industry and often being the only woman, there were certain things where I thought, was that inappropriate or was that sort uh-huh. of, should I take that as a compliment or absolutely kind of was inappropriate? Not sure what to say. Should mm-hmm. I just be cool with it? Um, do I read too much into it? Should I just not make a big deal out of it? Not be yeah. a, make a big fuss, right? Who wants to be emotional? <laughs> right. No, <laughs> we talked about absolutely. that as a whole different topic um, absolutely. of how you should respond to it. So I'm curious, can you remember specific incidents or if someone who's listening who might be in that similar situation and they feel, you know, I've had those moments when I thought like, "Mm, that kind of didn't sit well with me, but I'm not sure if I'm making too much of a deal out of it. Now that you're reflecting back and you're saying like, I feel a little bit validating because I'm hearing so many stories and I'm hearing sort of the systematic issue um, that you could share with us. Yes. And this was actually, in my opinion, even then a little bit more overt than what other people have experienced, but there's something, I will never forget this. I was working, um, I was a young marketing professional. I was still in college, but I was looking for internships and part-time jobs where I could build my, my muscle in marketing. And I was hired by a law firm and I was the first black employee that they had hired. Mm-hmm. And it was predominantly of another culture. It doesn't matter which one, but it was predominantly of another culture. And I could tell walking in, they were very uncomfortable with me. And in all fairness, I understand if you're of a particular culture and you probably, in a foreign culture, where you probably came to this country with certain preconceived notions about Black people, you really may not know how to connect, communicate, relate. And so I was prepared for that, but I had been there a couple of weeks or maybe a couple months and I had gotten my hair braided. So I wore braids in my hair and I came to work. There was a conference on a Monday morning that everyone was to meet there, not go to the office and meet there. And this was a, a conference for the company. And I, I think a few other <laughs> law firms in the area. And when I walked in the door, I'm not kidding. All conversations stopped and mm-hmm. heads just started to turn toward my braids. 
And I went and I sat down with my team and folks started touching my hair. And it's, oh my goodness, it's so this, and it, how did it grow so fast? And all, you know, all of these things to where, that was my first experience with what we call microaggressions. Yeah. And uh, that was, in the moment, you want to be poised. You don't, you want, you still want to be gracious. I knew that there wasn't an intent to offend, but it offended me. Yeah. And it offended me to the extent to where I felt that was my introduction to changing the natural appearance of who I am, meaning my hair, mm. to blend in and fit in and assimilate into professional spaces that even if they're not predominantly white, in my opinion, the white gaze and the white lens is what is the umbrella that houses mm. uh, professional environments. And that was devastating, to be honest with you. Yeah, because that's the, that, that must have felt like the moment where you, where you notice like, I'm actually, I'm not the outsiders, like that's the opposite of feeling included. Right. And I, and mind you, I had already felt as an outsider, but yeah. that was an explicit example of my being an outsider. Yeah. And oftentimes with black people specifically, because of our hair texture, I'm fair skinned, but unfortunately, because of uh, the darker skin tones, it, our differences are very pronounced from, from others. And they stand out in a way I think that I've noticed have made people feel uncomfortable traditionally, historically. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, there's this question that's coming up, Erica, that for people who say, you know, I wasn't born in the U.S. and I may not have had exposure to Black people or I didn't quite understand the history and, and all the stories and, and sort of the pain that has accumulated and, and still showing up to this day. And so sometimes I might find myself asking a dumb question that now I worry, am I offending that person by asking, like, how does your hair grow so fast, right? I just really don't know. And I don't mean that. I'm just curious what would you advise to someone in what to do or what to say? So there is less of this awkwardness that you've even experienced. Like I think that's something that we just want to remove, right? There shouldn't be yeah. this awkwardness in it, when we all come together yeah. across all kinds of cultures and races. So what is it that right. would you suggest to someone who feels, oh my God, I just don't want to step on anyone's toes and I'm worried. So what, so in the example that I gave, that was a moment where I was put on public display. Mm -hmm. Someone had asked a question publicly in a group of my peers and my colleagues that they could have asked me um, in private. They could yeah. have pulled me aside to ask. I don't have, personally, I can't speak, we are not a monolith, so I can't speak for every, you know, Black person. But for myself and many of my friends and family members, we're happy to answer questions. Yeah. But they have to be asked in a respectful manner to where we are not put on display. And I think it's important to understand Black people in this country came here to be put on display. We were put on auction blocks when we were mm. slaves, right? We have been considered caricatures post-slavery. We are considered by default entertainers or performers. And you have to understand that whether people realize it or not, there's a bias mm -hmm. that I think non-Black people have about Black people that you have to be aware of in terms of how you approach us about who we are, where we come from, 
maybe why our hair is the way that it is, why we have different skin tones and textures and all those, all these things. Don't put us on display in your questioning. I'm yeah. happy for you to pull me aside and I'll, I'll be happy to answer any question that you have, but to put me on display changes the, the narrative in my Yeah. Opinion. Oh God, thank you. So I'm, I'm so glad that you shared this because I think like you said, there may not have been an, a sort of this ill intent, but it, that, that was the impact that it had on you. And it's right. not that you don't want to answer questions or that you're not willing to explain to someone what's different or how is it different and, and all that. Right. But it's exactly what you said, sort of saying it out in, in the big room, just like we wouldn't point out something else that's a, that's a differentiator. We wouldn't point that out in a, right. in a big room. It would make right. us all feel awkward. Right. I mean, think about it in terms of like a classroom setting, right? Like if we're a student, let's say we're in college or what have you, in any student setting. Oftentimes, if we have a personal question about something, maybe the professor might say something that draws this question that we have that isn't necessarily germane to what he's talking about, but it's something that we need answered. Nine times out of 10, we have the scruples to know that's a question that I should take to office hours. Yep. Right. So come to our office hours. Yep. <laughs> that you have. Yeah. Close to putting us on public display. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And I think that even with this vulnerability of saying, hey, I'm coming from the intent to understand because I embrace it. I'm curious. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I want to understand yeah. and to demonstrate the intent or, or, or make that explicit versus just bluntly asking something that, yeah, the narrative changes. And then right. the impact on you. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And the last thing I'll add to that is in the context for the example that I just gave, I don't think that this was the intent, but you are not respecting my personal space mm-hmm. when you did that. You are not respecting my person when you did that. And I think that's the difference between pulling someone aside because it is a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. And when you put me on public display, it's as if you do not respect me as a person and whether that's intended or not that's between that person in their own mind mm-hmm. but you have to understand the perception that you give me as not mm-hmm. giving me the space or the respect to my person when you yeah. do something like that yeah yeah and it inspires me to think back of some situations where i might have done that you know sort of unconsciously not with that bad intent but i'm also sort of inviting people listening right now to just take a moment to reflect back what were maybe some situations where uh, you did that unconsciously and without bad intent but maybe someone else was put on display by asking a question publicly reflect on that and even if it's uncomfortable and, and i'm sensing guilt I have to spend more time going back and and figuring out where did I do this? And we all through this last couple of months have come up with reflections and understandings of what we could have done better in the past and what we will do different and better going forward. And I think that little microaggression or that little putting someone on display that then creates more separation than inclusion. Right. That's a small thing that is powerful though for the person on the other side, right? Or the person yeah. um, who's, who was impacted. So that's my quick call, <laughs> call for action, call for reflection, because I think that's such an important point that you, that you, that you mentioned here. And also as we're speaking about this, one of the challenges that I hear often and, and some of the conversations I've been having were around the challenge or the uncertainties around being a bystander. 
Mm-hmm. So when you're observing your boss making decisions and you think maybe this was impacted by race or when you observe others making a comment or when you observe your organization making decisions or com- communicating in a way that's not uh, fostering diversity and inclusion, what are some of the things that you would suggest for people to do or that you have seen in the past, the actions that people have taken or, or that even you have done to, to be part of the movement and create change? That is, that's a hard question, Ramon. And I'll tell, the reason why is because it's one thing to be a bystander peer-to-peer. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole other thing to be a bystander in a hierarchy of a professional relationship. That's tough. Mm-hmm. But I would say for either instance, so by nature uh, of the type of person that I am and the profession that I have, part of what I do is risk mitigation. It mm-hmm. may not seem obvious in marketing, but in my specific role and the clients that I've served, a lot of what I do is risk mitigation. So my first inclination is to say, get ahead of it. Now that you know that um, you are at some point going to encounter this, either in conversation or by someone saying something offensive, someone being offended, get ahead of understanding what your company's stance is. I think at this point, every company should have a formal stance on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. It should Mm -hmm. be formal. Even if it's not public facing, it should be internally facing. And Mm -hmm. I would say, if it's not, seek it out go to HR and ask them, what is your stance and your policy on this? So that it should help guide how you respond as a bystander. Peer to peer, let's say you're amongst your peers, your coworkers, and someone says, because I believe me, working in tech and working in predominantly white spaces, there have been plenty of things that have been said in my presence that have been offensive. And -hmm. I don't think it was intended to be offensive. I do want to say that, but nonetheless, it was. And so I think that we have to be mindful of taking the lead of the person who was offended. They mm-hmm. may not want to address it at that moment, and they may have very good reasons why. This may change. Like I said, I feel more validated. So it may change. People may feel more validated and feel like they can speak up more, but I think it's going to take time to get there. And so in the interim, people may not feel like it's something that they want to address right away. And if you notice that a person of color is not addressing it right away, that might be indication for you to not address it right away because you might not want to put them on the spot even more. I know it's hard. And I may say that and another (laughs) black person may say, you need to speak up for me. So I can only Mm. give you my perspective, but I do think what I'm really trying to say is take the lead of people of color and how they want to move in these spaces. And just as importantly, understand your company's policy on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if they don't have one, I think it is a good time to ask them, what is it? And how do you expect us to navigate this space with a fresh perspective? So actually what you said about when there's a Black person involved, do you need to speak up or should you just pause as well? It's clearly uncomfortable. Like if I'm a bystander of something that I think was inappropriate, it's uncomfortable. And so, yes, I might not need to blur it out in front of the group and and try to explain to this person that this was inappropriate. I could, but if I feel like, hold on a second, there's another black person in the group who's not speaking up. There could be a dynamic where this person now feels like I'm stepping in because I'm not trusting that they have a voice or I don't feel like their voice is strong enough. So now I feel like I have to rescue. So being aware and really mindful of this dynamic 
And then I guess the safe way always is to pay, take that person aside, just like we talked earlier and have this face-to-face conversation one-to-one and say, when you said this, it made me feel uncomfortable. Right? Absolutely. And you asked for an example and an example is coming to mind. So the company that I worked for most recently, there was a comment that was made by a coworker in regards to Black History Month. And it was just off color. It was just off. Again, I don't think he intended to offend, um, but there was myself and another Black gentleman that I work with, and he made the comment, and I made a face that everyone knew. I didn't, I, I'm a person where I, I like to think before I respond so mm-hmm. that it's not a reaction, it's a response. And in that moment, I said, I'm not going to address this right now, mm-hmm. but I was going to address it. My boss knew just because of the relationship that he and I, he already knew that I had a problem with what was said. What I appreciate about what he did is he pulled the person aside and dealt with him without my knowing Mm -hmm. and then came to me and said, I have dealt with this and I have reiterated, we don't stand for X, Y, and Z. That is a great example. Now, my boss is the boss. So he was in a position of power and authority. And I realized that that may not always translate to someone who is not in a position of authority or leadership. But I do think it's a great starting point to understand how you might handle that in a situation where I chose and my, my Black coworker chose not to address it at, in the moment and how you can uh, stand up as a yeah. bystander. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was a great example. I can imagine that, that just a relationship between you and your boss that strengthened as a result of that because he did did that. It was a small act of standing up for you and, and taking care of something that was appropriate. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the other thing though. You mentioned that if he was the boss boss and so he had authority at the same time, I'm thinking we all also need to hold each other accountable because even though it wasn't, so sometimes it is intentional, right? And it's clearly racist. Other times it's an unconscious action that someone mm-hmm. takes that then came from a good intention, but had a negative impact. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking here as a white person. And I think that I'm in this context of anti-racism. I want to stand with white people and say like, we all got to hold each other accountable. So if I say something that is offending and I don't mean it, call me out. Like, I need you to tell me because I don't want to make this twice. And if it's a blind spot for me and no one tells me because everyone's afraid, then I will never learn. I never have the opportunity to learn. And I think that even for people who may um, sort of still be hesitant with, with seeing all the different nuances that, that come along with this conversation, the more people stand up and say, this was not okay. This made me feel uncomfortable. This was inappropriate. This was a microaggression. And I want to tell you because I believe that you want the best and I believe you have positive intentions and I, I want to be helpful. And I hope that you appreciate me pointing this out so that this is not, doesn't happen again in the future. Absolutely. Because even if your intention was good, if it had a negative impact, it's not serving anyone here. Clearly. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I so think- why would we do that? Right. But the thing is, you, Ramona, are willing to put yourself out there and to create spaces for that. And I think that's the key for what we call white allies. 
you have to be willing to put yourself out there to be corrected, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. And I think no one wants to say, I'm racist. No one wants to say, I'm biased. No one wants to say, I'm prejudiced. That's not who wants to say that. Yeah. Um, yet and still, if you were to ask any white person in your neighborhood, if you were to ask them, are they racist? They probably would say no, not realizing that there are inadvertent biases. You know, we talked about unconscious biases that we have to start uprooting. Mm -hmm. That sure, maybe you're not racist, but since we're human and we all have prejudices and we all have biases, what prejudices and biases do you have toward this specific group of people of color? Mm -hmm. And where does that come from? And how does that shape how you engage them? Yep. You have to be, so you seem like you've already started doing that work to unpack those things, mm -hmm. willing to address it. Not everyone's there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of doing the work for myself and it's, gosh, uncomfortable. Like, yeah. it's not pretty doing this work, <laughs> you know, for myself. And like looking back in those situations where I think like, wow, I sure did have a, a, a bias. Right. And that in itself is not pretty. And then figuring out, okay, this is a lesson and I have to look at it. I keep saying in my coaching, like, we got to look at the wound. You can't just put a bandaid on it, let it heal. You're going to look, do the same thing again. You got to look at like, what created the wound and right. what does it really look like? And then what kind of treatment right. does it need? And even if that's not comfortable to do, that's the work that we need to do. And in that same scope, I think that includes the need to also prepare for how are we going to do this differently? And how are we going to respond when we're a bystander? Yeah. How are we going to uh, manage the unconscious biases going forward? So if I look at my own situation, how am I being more inclusive in my marketing, in my, my work with clients? How am I responding when I see a community that I'm part of not being diverse or inclusive? What if I see that certain perks and companies or benefits are not inclusive? What if I see a microaggression? Mm -hmm. I can't wait for that to happen. Mm -hmm. like, then I didn't actually look at the wound. I can't wait for this to happen and then be reactive in a moment because then there's a high right. chance that I would just be like, freeze or do okay. what I used to do because it's a habit or a pattern. Right. I have to think today when I'm a bystander and I'm like in my mind, I have to prepare for this to visualize what I'm going to say so that when it happens, my immediate reaction is to stand up without even thinking about it in that moment, to stand up and just decide, should I bring this up in a, in a group or should I pull this person aside or should I address this with HR or whatever that is, but to have, Absolutely. what you said, prepare for it. Well, so if we're talking specifically in a professional context, we prepare for everything. We prepare for meetings. We prepare for pitch presentations, if that's what we do. We prepare for client briefings. We prepare for internal. This is just another arm of preparation mm -hmm. for how you bring and present yourself in the workplace. Yeah. And I think that if people start to look at it that way, that might help them understand how to prepare, where to start. I, it's overwhelming, right? There's so many things that are going on right now. 
that are overwhelming for people. Mm -hmm. But how do you get over feeling overwhelmed? You prepare. Yeah. I think we need to just tackle it that way. Yeah, totally. And and I think with the overwhelm, to look at what specifically is my strength and where do I have most influence? In which situations can I have the biggest lever to move? Right. Absolutely. And start with that. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That's a great point. And I agree. I, I totally agree with that. Erica, thank you so much for sharing, you know, so many different examples, a little bit of your story. And, you know, I think it's through these conversations that some of those nuances come out because we talked about this before. There's a broader movement and a lot of it is about civil rights and, you know, equal rights overall. And then one area, one sliver of that is how it shows up in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And we also talked about the shift in, in organizations and cultures where a lot of us want to bring our whole self to work. Mm-hmm. We're not checking in at nine in the morning and then checking out at five and we're two different personas, Right. one at work and then one at home. We want to show up with our whole self, our creativity, our style, our emotions, our expressions, our preferences. And that's what truly sort of is that work-life integration and that concept mm-hmm. as moms, as people who have different passions and interests and, yeah. and strength. And to bring it back to discrimination or anti-racism in the workplace, I think it goes hand in hand with wanting for us to bring our whole self in and to Mm -hmm. bring our courage and our own values and ethical standards, moral standards into the workplace as well. And then at the same time, wanting everyone else to do the same and creating an environment where everyone feels safe and encouraged to bring all of their facets into the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what right inclusion is. And you had something to share about how you felt um, during that time as well. I'd love to quickly touch on that before we end end this episode. Yeah. You know, it's funny what you say, I think I want to acknowledge will be easier for some workspaces than others. Yeah. What I mean by that is in traditional corporate structures, it's going to be much harder than in smaller businesses or creative spaces. And I think that professionals need to be very realistic about that. But what you and I had talked about in regards to the last point that you mentioned is so often I have felt over a full 15 year career, especially uh, 10 years in marketing, I have to check so much of who I am at the door. Mm -hmm. But who I am is who, is so much of what I bring to the Mm -hmm. table. And that is a very tough tug of war. And I had mentioned to you earlier, what stopped that for me was after I had my son for a number Mm -hmm. of reasons, but it started out because I was too tired to keep up the performance. I was too tired to keep up the charade, literally like physically tired because I was getting no sleep. And I was a zombie at work for the first three to six months after I went back after having my son. And that's when I said, I can't keep up this performance anymore. Um, But then it also helped me unpack even more like why I felt I needed to perform. And it's because I don't want to fit the stereotype of what I know many people perceive as a Black woman, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would work so hard and go out of my way 
to disprove that I am the stereotype that I know that you have, that mm -hmm. I was also kind of denying what makes me me. Yeah. I'm black. That's who yeah. I am. <laughs> That's how I was born. Yeah. My experiences as a black woman in this country are unique and they are what make me, I think they're part of my superpower as a professional. And to yeah. deny that and to check it at the door means I'm not able to bring my, the full breadth of my talent to your business. And mm -hmm. I just decided I won't be doing that anymore. And it's, yeah. been a, it's been a progression over about four years, I've mentioned since having my son, but I won't do that anymore. I ha it has to be all of me or none of me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, gosh, that's such a powerful message. And I, I truly hope it inspires you know, some of the listeners who might feel in one way or the other, be this to, to do skin color, race, or anything, anything else where they feel they have to check that side of them at the door to blend in more. And I think with what you just shared, that's just, you know, leaving all the, the statistics and the research, the ROI of diversity and inclusion and all that out of it, just simply hearing you say that it touches my heart because you are talented and you bring your unique strength to the table. And if my organization were to say, no, you got to fit in with everyone else, then gosh, I'm just taking so much away from right. not just how that feels to you, but from, from what we could all do. Right. Because I'm sort right. of cutting it's the slice of the pie. Why not eat right. the whole pie? Right. And we're creating robots when we do that. And yeah. that's, you know. And th that worked back when it was all in the manufacturing age, right? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone had to leave the big part of themselves out the door. Right. These days, that's just, that is a very outdated mindset. Um, very much. I loved how you brought that to light in your, in your oh, personal experience. And I hope thank you. that some people who will hear this will say, gosh, there's this aspect of me that I'm leaving at the door and... Yeah, how can I bring a little bit more of that with me and and be my whole self? Yeah. And I think that's that's a powerful message in itself, a powerful message for for black people in a workplace. Oh, and you mentioned that it's hard. This is not easy work. This is not a decision right. and then starting tomorrow you're a different person or a, a more holistic, more whole person in the workplace. Right. This takes courage. This takes time. This takes patience. There'll be setbacks where you fall back into all traps and you get back up and you make two step forwards and one step back. Right. And I think though, when we're either ourselves or us as leaders encouraging others to do this and we're all pulling in the same direction, you know, ultimately we'll get there. We'll, we're creating a shift that's sustainable and long-term and those shifts don't happen overnight. They Absolutely. never do. They do take time. Um, right. But there's no other way than to, to go through it and take one baby step at a time. One baby step at a time and get uncomfortable. Get yep. comfortable with being uncomfortable, uncomfortable. because that's where yeah. progress will be made. What a beautiful ending to this conversation. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. Um, you shared so much of your own experience. You were vulnerable with sharing your stories. And the messages were inspiring. I felt touched. I got the chills a couple of times. So thank you so much, Erica. You take thank us there you. to have this conversation thank and be so part much. of this. Thank, thank you, you, Erica. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. 
This was part three of a three-part series of conversations with black professionals in the context of the anti-racism movement and what all that looks like in the workplace. I also want to let you know that the three women who joined me on this podcast were compensated for their time because I think it's important that we're all conscious of not asking black employees or black friends to educate us more and offer more free labor. It's on us and when I'm saying us as a non-black people to get educated I wanted to amplify this and amplify voices of black people through this series and I wanted to share that with you. Now as I said I know this is a vulnerable conversation and it can be uncomfortable and I worry that I make mistakes that I don't intend to and I know I'm not doing everything right and I could do better and I'm learning as I go but nevertheless we have to we have to stay in it. We have to demonstrate courage and vulnerability and be willing to make mistakes and even be transparent about it and say like, hey, I invite you to give me feedback and I want you to hold me accountable. So even if there was something in one of these conversations that didn't sit well with you, I want to know about it. And if there's something that really inspired you or planted a seed for you or got you thinking in a good way, then I want to know about it too. So know that you can always email me at contact at RamonaShaw.com. I read every single message and I respond to every single message and I hope to hear from you. Now I'll see you next week in another episode of the Manager Track podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you love this show, then you'll love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.